a reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own uh, issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon and he brought him all of these and cut them into two laying each half over against the other but he didn't cut the birds in two and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses Abram drove them away as the sun was going down a deep sleep fell upon Abram and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him and then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. A smoking fire pot and a flame, a flaming torch, passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The word of the Lord. Uh, this is one of the lectionary texts today, and for whatever reason, it, I, it was interesting to me when we got to pick, you know, which lectionary text we talk out of um, uh, today, and I was just fascinated by this story and wanted to spend some time talking about it. Uh, and I would like to have a conversation using these questions behind me that uh, come from Hugh Halter and Matt Smay and the church they're a part of uh, as a way of engaging this text together. Um, I'm going to read. Uh, actually, I'll ask for a volunteer. So I think if you want to read this. Oh, I didn't read it all. There's still some Perizzites and Amorites and Hezekites left. I, it didn't make the guide, so that's okay. Um, uh, but I'll, I'll, we'll read it again, and I, I want to give a little bit of backstory that makes this story feel a little more Lent-y. Uh, it creates the tension that this story sits in. Uh, so a few chapters earlier in Genesis 12, when Abram lives many hundreds of miles away from this moment, that's taking place, uh, Ur of the Chaldeans that's referenced in this story, uh, God appears to him then, and he has this vision or interaction with God that is like the found, it's the first great commission of the Bible, the, a foundational text of both, uh, the people of Israel and, uh, the church. Uh, the church later saw itself, the Apostle Paul saw the church in light of this great commissioning that happens in Genesis 12, when God says to Abram and to Sarai, uh, I am going to bless you and you will be blessed and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. 
whoever you bless will be blessed. Whoever you curse will be cursed. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm choosing you and your family to bring blessing and shalom into the whole world. Um, so, uh, that's chapter 12. Chapter 13, I, I think that's the chapter where he and Lot, um, well, there's a famine. So that, that happens afterwards. There's a great famine and Moses, or not Moses, Abram goes down to Egypt with Sarah and he does this real gym bag thing. He's afraid that he'll be killed because his wife is so attractive that they'll, they'll kill him and, uh, take his wife. And so instead he's like, let's just lean into that and we'll, I'll pretend that she's my sister. And she can be Pharaoh's wife in Egypt. And I'll be the brother who is safe and not a threat and could also become rich in the meantime. Uh, um, and it works. Uh, she joins Pharaoh's family as one of his wives, I guess, Sarah is. And then they find out that they've done this whole charade because God sends a plague on the Egyptian people, there feels like some foreshadowing of what happens later in Exodus. God sends a plague and, um, there's this pestilence and like something's going on. Some deity is punishing us and Abram comes clean that, well, this is actually my wife and not my sister. And so they move up on out of there and they're very wealthy by this point. Um, Lot is a part of their family. I think that's when they choose. Okay, we're we're coming back to our homeland now after this famine. Let's divide and conquer. You pick whatever land you want, and I'll take the rest of this land over here. Um, I think it's chapter fourteen. There's there's this great war in Canaan, and you've got the four kings against the five kings, and Lot and his family are taken captive um, as a part of this. Uh, and uh, Abram has to take 300 of his servants up to fetch him and go to war so that he can rescue his family member and bring him back down to their, their homeland. Um, and all of that's happening leading up to this, to this text um, with, with this call of Abram in the backdrop uh, that many years ago now, God has said to Abram, um, you're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the shore. And he, right as of now, he has famine. Um, he has some wealth. He's got warfare. He's just rescued a son, but he has no heir. He has no children from Sarah. And that's what leads us to this text. Does anybody want to read Genesis 15 again, the second time? One through 18. Great. Do you want this sheet? Do we want to share the screen again or just listen? Okay. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believes the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old. A female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. 
And the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Uh, What did you like about what we just read? Uh, I appreciate uh, Abraham's willingness to question and to lament. The first reading was like, kind of sounds like a whiner. Um, but in the context, uh, Abraham's ability to say, hey, where are you? You've given me nothing. Uh, uh, particularly coming from a tradition where you never question God. You never get to ask those. So I, the, the example and witness of God being trustworthy enough and Abraham trusting enough to say, where in the world are you? Hmm. Uh, I, I appreciated that, particularly in the second reading. Yep. Thanks. Anybody else? Julie, what, what did you, you wanted to talk? <laughs> Um, one thing I liked, I think, I think part of what drew me to this story was just the, um, the enchantment of it. Story feels a bit enchanted that, that Abram has a vision and that, uh, a fire pot floats through the middle of halved carcasses, you know? At dark, like there is, there's, there's, there's these like, I don't know, enchanted magical kind of elements of this story that, um, that I really like. I think because I hope that God is at work in the world or interacts with us in ways, well, maybe, maybe not as a, as a flaming torch in the middle of halved carcasses. But like in the sense that even amidst the darkness and even amidst the questions that like, I don't know, we, we could interact somehow with God. I like the, the possibility of that, that this text raises. Cause she's so cute. She's so cute. She's like, oh, that looks like fun. I put that in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. What do you want to say? <laughs> what do you want to say? Um, yeah. Uh, so I've had this, um, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do it justice, but we, this is a, we use this 
uh, Karen Alexander, the executive director of Comfort Winner, teaches on this passage mm-hmm. um, in our Matthew curriculum because it's it is a covenant ceremony and talks about the covenant ceremonies in that time would have been between two people and then one um, like for a marriage or something. This is the father of the of the husband is standing on one side and walks through the blood and stomps through the blood and you know as this blood. Um, hits me then so what will happen if anything happens to your to your family and then the father of the bride does the same and and so then the the fact that in this version god does both pieces Mm. god is is saying i'm making covenant with you but it is on me both both parts of this are on me um if if you don't complete your end of the covenant it's on me and I will take on that blood. And if I don't complete my end of the deal, which of course we know he will, the God will, but I will take on the blood. And so, um, so it is, it's really interesting. I don't, I don't tell it as well as she does, but that's the general gist. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I really dig that. Um, it is remarkable that God, God, commits to Abram in the way that God does. That God is the one that commits to Abram and the the covenant is and I I hadn't seen that like the double the double owning. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I had come across that look like when in the Hebrew Bible when it talks about making a covenant, the language is cutting a covenant because of this very kind of ceremony you cut a covenant. Um and the idea is like when you walk through these sliced carcasses it's basically saying let the same thing happen to me if i break this covenant yeah. and so god is walking through mm-hmm. may the same thing happen to me mm-hmm. if i let you down mm-hmm. and he's walking the other way may the same thing happen to me if you let me down yeah wow yeah word That's good. um what didn't you like now we can open the floodgates <laughs> <laughs> I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she wants to talk now. Okay. All right, Julie. I just, I don't like, and this is very prevalent in the Old Testament, how casually the woman is told, you're going to go do this, which involves, you have to assume all the things that go with being a man's woman. And, you know, you're going to do that because I don't want to die and I want to get uh, some money and like, I th- I've thought about that with Esther before. You know, there's just so many examples. And you're like, oh, like we just have one or two lines of text. You're like, hold on, I have a lot of questions about what was her reaction to this. Like, guess what? You're gonna go live with Pharaoh so that I don't have to get killed and so that we can get some money and get rich. And like, was that so commonplace that they're like, all right? And I don't know. So many questions about that. So many questions about the transactional nature of. Of covenants, although I like what you have added to this, but <clears throat> if we have any comments over in the Zoom world, let me know. Uh, if you're on Zoom and you want to make a comment, leave a note for our Zoom moderators, and we'll get to you. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like this covenant is like a double-edged sword. He's like, you know, like you're, you may not feel like you're going to have any descendants, but you are. But for 400 years, it's going to suck really bad, you know? And he's like, thank you. (laughs) Is that a thing? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a combo of good news and bad news. Yeah, I couldn't think of anything good to say because it just like kept going through my mind. Abraham is such an asshat. Like, just <laughs> I was like, I cannot get this out. Think of something and like, oh, it's just I can't. Um, the absolute gall of the man to whine about God not fulfilling His promises to Abram when he's the one. He's like, he's got a woman he can use as a bargaining chip. Is just sent off whenever he wants. And 
I think about Sarah, like, laughing and just the way that, like, later she's just portrayed as the one not having faith. And it's like, Abram, Abram is listed in the fathers of the faith. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I, that just seems so wrong. And I, I, I understand that they're human people. I understand that to be a father of the faith does not mean that you are actually like that awesome or whatever, but like, this week was International Women's Day and the girls, I, we, I took them for ice cream. They were like, we're all women. And Sean was like, when is International Men's Day? And I was like, every day. <laughs> and like, it was, I, it was really hard to explain, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure how to explain patriarchy to you if you don't understand it right now. Like you will later, but like, I'm not sure how to explain it to you right now. We talked a lot about different things, but I don't know. I'm just. Yeah, like, I was just thinking, he said, he's, he's whining. He's like, why won't you get this woman pregnant? Why can't I get her pregnant? I need, I need a child. Oh, I don't want to die. Let me send her off to Pharaoh. Oh, oh, I'm, I don't know. I'm like, Sarah deserves, I mean, I mean, she does have a covenant made with her too, I guess, through Abram, but like, she deserves a covenant. Uh, She deserves her God to say to her, listen, I know this guy is an asshat, but like, something that you do is going to matter. And I don't know. Anyway, that's just what I was thinking. Right. Well, and, and the asshattery only continues in the next chapter when 10 years later, still childless, Abram gets impatient and decides to try to fabricate the, the Hagar and Ishmael route, right? Once Sarah's part of it, sure. Yeah. I agree with all of that, but I also like, it's cool that we see that God isn't cool with that. Like when, when mm. Abram does make the mistake time and time again of trying to push along the covenant and make it go quicker, which we are all guilty of doing, God sends a plague and is like, that was not part of the plan. You are not mm. supposed to do that in the sure. same way that he gets on to Sarah. When Sarah's like, you know what? This is taking a little bit too long. I'm getting a little crusty <laughs> and I'm not really sure how this is going to happen, so we're going to use Hagar. And then Sarah was a complete asshat to that situation. Yeah. She was horrible. Yeah. So I think in the sense of equality and not assigning genders to anything, both of them were human, both of them were terrible, and we can see that God didn't say, you know what, forget y'all. I'm going to pick a new couple and see if somebody else can do this because y'all are obviously not on board with the plan because you keep time and time again, going to make the plan your own, which mm-hmm. is obviously what we do today. Mm-hmm. So yes and no to one being worse than the other, one not listening to God, one being whiny, or one taking matters into their own hands, because at least we can say that they were unified in marriage. <laughs> on those. Wow. It's good. Um, was there anything you didn't understand? <laughs> One more thing not to like. <laughs> One tangent here. I just, I just, does anyone else feel bad for Eliezer or Damascus? <laughs> I know, he's like, he's, he's apparently like the head of the household and maybe, or maybe not a slave depending on the translation. And he's like, oh my god, if this guy doesn't have a kid, like, I'm gonna inherit all this wealth and I can have the chance at, at doing something. He's like, nope. We're going to, whatever it takes. God, please. It's going to go to Eleazar, and everybody hates that guy. <laughs> anyway, yeah. 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 That's right. Eleazar is the guy who feels left out. And Was there anything in the story you didn't understand? <laughs> Is our next question. Yep. Was there anything you didn't understand in the story? Questions, inquiries. Yeah. The, the question number three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Well, yeah, I was about to say ladies first, but now I feel like that's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> you should just sit the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Shouldn't be born out of patriarchy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, bringing it back around. So you know the thing I've been wrestling with as we've been reading this, and I wrestle with this a lot in Genesis, which. Do we, did Moses write Genesis? Is that an accepted thing or that's apocryphal? Got it. Uh, so whoever wrote that, part of me is, there's a cynical side of me that's like, gee, it's awfully easy to write these prophecies like really, really accurately when you're recording it centuries after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're going to go to like, I don't know, like the Egyptians, and it'll be like, between 399 and 401 years, and after that, uh-huh. and so sometimes I get a little bit lost in the cynicism of my own, you know, thoughts about like, okay, what is this, did this actually have, like, what is truth, like capital T or lowercase t here, and like, what does it mean for the story to be true, you know, of of this, and actually, as I've been sort of sitting here stewing in that, I've enjoyed our conversation because I think you guys are opening my eyes to some of the broader meaning behind this. And I think that's where we look of, of, okay, does it matter whether God actually predicted to Abraham that his children or offspring would be slaves for 400 years in this specific land? Maybe so, or maybe not, but what do we learn? You know, it's, it's God's promise. It's looking back and trying to make meaning out of suffering and meaning out of a journey and understanding what it would be like to not get what you want, but for God to have walked alongside you anyway. Mm. Um, so I'm still learning how to unlock some of those things about these passages in ways that I feel like are maybe different than I read them 15 years ago mm. type of thing. So I think that's what I don't fully understand yet. Yep. Thank you for those thoughts. Any other questions? Any other Things that you didn't understand that you want to ruminate on. Okay. What did you learn about God? I've learned some things about God just listening to you all. So what, yeah, all the, it can apply to that too. What, what are you learning about God as we reflect on this story? This is um, connected to some of Miles' Miles's reflections. Um, it's really helpful for me to, this is one of those moments where it feels acute, to recognize that there's a difference between who God is and who God is portrayed in Scripture to be. Uh, in, in, it's one of the miracles of Scripture for me. Uh, that given all of humanity's ability to filter everything through their experience, uh, which, you know, so much of scripture is a reflection of people, uh, and their context. For example, all the patriarchy, all that that's not actually representative of who God is and that God still bubbles up. Mm even in the midst of our inability to tell the story accurately about who God is, we still get to see who God is. Uh, and that to me is really uh, good news. Uh, the, the ability for somebody way after the fact to give all the details correctly, quote unquote correctly, um, but still tell the story wrong, but God's still there. I don't know. That's just good news to me that there's, there's some in, in the midst of all the things that make me angry about this sacred text um, to know that it's actually not always reflective of who God is, mm-hmm. is comforting for some. It's not like they need, this is exactly who God, yeah. but actually it makes me feel better. But okay. We didn't get it right when we were telling the story about God all the time, yeah. but yet God in God's faithfulness shows up yeah. uh, in, in midst of the ass hattery of, all the editors and the people who put it together, God still shows up. Yep. 
Um, and that it, it comes feels, to the surface. It feels true to life almost. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. That feels like that actually happens today yeah. too. Yeah. 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 It reminds me too of like one of the, it, it was cut off because it was verse 19. That's what I figured out. I put one through 18. All of the Kenites and the Jebusites and all of that. Uh, is verse 19, which ends the section. Sorry, guys. Um, no, y'all wanted to read all of those. Right? It changes everything. Well, I mean, part of what you, part, part of what the troubling thing that you avoid in that redaction of mine, which I didn't intend to avoid. And it's the redaction of the lectionary talking about another thing. Right. The lectionary does not include it. Nope. Right. Because God's essentially saying, I'm going to give you this land. And it's the land that all of these other people dwell in, the subtext of which is you are going to conquer and dominate and maybe even exterminate these people uh, that you're in the land you're being called into. And you have all of these narratives of the, it's a, it's the, it's a very common warrior God kind of theme in the ancient Near East. And, uh, you know, especially in Joshua, you have all these texts that describe, uh, Israel wiping out the people of the land when in fact they did not mm-hmm. they did not and there are other texts that are kind of counter and subversions that say actually they kind of coexisted alongside of everybody there we just needed to tell this narrative because we needed ways to like describe our god as strong and powerful the way everybody else describes their god as strong and powerful right mm-hmm. and yet somehow like there's still these like with the plague and like God's not okay with that. Like God has these subtle ways of subverting and be like, no, 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 no. Like you're, you're, you're missing who I am, what I'm about, um, what I care about. And God comes up in the midst of all of that somehow. Other things you're learning about God. I think Jen touched on this, but I think, um, I think, uh, we learn a lot about God's promises and we even teach our kids and ourselves. And I think it's good that God's promises are full of love and hope and they're beautiful and they're, um, pure. And it's almost like but in the Old Testament with God's covenant and God's promises, there also comes sacrifice and hardship mm-hmm. and waiting mm-hmm. and confusion mm-hmm. and um not just on the human end either. I, I mean, I think God makes it that way. I mm-hmm. mean, from what I can gather and I just hold that tension, I guess, mm-hmm. but it, it is beautiful and it is lovely what God promised Abraham, but what it took to get those promises to come into fruition even not from all of Abraham and Sarah's meddling, even just God's plan, Mm. it was very twisty and it was very hard. And it was not just this beautiful, lovely promise that'll be bestowed upon you. It was like, and you might have to do this, you know, I don't know. That tension is hard for me because I think I want to keep on the side of God is lovely and pure and holy and perfect. And he is, she is, but also, it comes with the hard things that maybe we don't want to admit comes with it. Yeah. Yep. That's very well said. I, I think that nor- it helps to normalize our own sense of uncertainty and confusion and darkness and grief and loss. It helps us to be able to hold our own experience of those things and also to hold out Hope that God is still somehow in the work, uh, in, in the midst, and, and working in the midst of all of that. That's right. Not separate. That's right. Not it's part and parcel. Yeah. God is with you in that, and He's a part of that, and it's not separate. I think we've been told it's. It's kind of the way of things. That, so, yeah. You know, it's separate. You have to kind of go through that alone until your promises are fulfilled, and that's obviously not the case. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, more. Um. Last question. How could you apply what you learned about God 
to your life this week? How could you apply what you learned about God to your life this week? This might be going a little bit off track, but just the last few weeks, I've questioned why won't God intervene? Um, and I guess, you know, Abram was thinking the same thing. Uh, it's like, where are you? Why won't you do something to help the situation? Why don't you intervene in this and, you know, do something magnificent like part the sea or like you've done before? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just want God to intervene over in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And I'm just afraid of what's coming. How how does how does this story impact the way you ask that question or the way that you see this question? Seeing Abram wondering the same kind of thing. God, are you going to intervene? Are you going to do something? I don't know. It just seems like all through history, God has left us to our own devices and doesn't really intervene that much. Uh, I know in my own life, um, I went through some really difficult stuff when I was young. And I could feel that God did intervene somewhat. I can see how he acted and moved me from one bad place to a better place. Yeah. But it, you know, you have to be patient and you have to go through the hard part. Yeah. Hmm. But, and then we just, you know, I think my favorite Bible verse is the one about putting your trust in the Lord and trusting him with all your heart. And um, I know that, you know, Abram had to really trust what he was being told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, um, like you're saying, really hard. The uh, It's hard to trust, even when you feel like God can still be present with us. Um, without intervening in the way we want God to. It reminds me of yesterday we had a bunch of teenagers over to our house. <laughs> and uh our, one of our one of our neighbors, Leo, he's fifteen, was talking about um how he has learned to pray and that's a way that he's he deals with the worries that he has. And that I when I'm worried about something I ask God would he help me? Would he give me something that I need? And if God gives it, then he's grateful. And if God doesn't give it, then he tries to trust that maybe he didn't need it or that God is at work in some other way. And this is a 15 year old. I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm that mature yet. <laughs> <laughs> But it is the tension. It's the, I mean, that's a, the big question about God's agency in our world. Um, yeah. And it, I, I don't know how to resolve it. Yeah. We do now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We know. Um, I was just reflecting. I think it's interesting that essentially this passage says that sitting in that tension and having trust is what was credited to Abram as righteousness. Mm. Word. It's hmm. good. It's not good enough though, Ben needs to say. <laughs> right. Julie <laughs> needs <laughs> 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 To say something. Oh, in the corner. Can we reach? That is the question. Step 
I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Okay, you're good. I can yeah. stand. Okay. Make it makes feel a little more official somehow. Um, yeah, kind of like this. Everybody <laughs> look my way. Um, for me, what kind of stood out, you know, we're talking about intervention. Um, and I can definitely be an asshat when things are all mixed up in the world and there's change going on and there's a lot going on in our life right now. And I'm wondering, like, where is this intervention? Almost feel like this discussion today helps me realize it is happening. He is intervening, but mm. on a personal level mm. um, to be accepting and bring awareness into your life of, yeah, there's going to be these really dark times, but I'm not doing it to you. And if you still show up and do your part, he's going to be there for us too. Mm. So a little wow. kind of light bulb. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Sally. Yeah. Oh, now I'm going to trip. Dig it. Um, the last couple of weeks at the end of our opening liturgy with the, um, just the, you live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God and the kingdom is not in trouble. Uh, that, that has really resonated with me as we've talked about all the stuff with Ukraine and, and, and Russia and, um, you know, the people that, that we love in Russia there as well. And I was just thinking about them specifically doing communion today as they, uh, gather in the midst of a country that is falling to pieces in Russia and in Ukraine. And, but just to know that, uh, the kingdom of God is not in trouble. The nations are in trouble, but the kingdom of God is not. When we see how shakable the kingdoms are around us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you all for the conversation. And I, I, I really like the, those last few comments kind of inviting us to, um, to trust and, and, and that somehow in the holding of these tensions, there is it, that, that's the stuff of faith that is, that's to be in in the right zone of relationship to God. Uh, Sarah, you mentioned Ukraine. Gary, you mentioned Ukraine too. I wanted to ask, um, how can we pray for our neighbors and our neighborhoods? And I certainly want to pray for our um, our Ukrainian neighbors. Are there other neighbors or neighborhoods that um, are on your heart this morning that you'd like to? Ask a prayer for. I'll add Russians to those prayers as well. As thinking about, we've heard from some of our friends in Russia this week who uh, no longer have access to Facebook, no longer have access to uh, a lot of things, and so like mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out ways to how do they stay connected, how do they stay um, uh, connected to other other Christians in their country and outside of the world, they're kind of, you know, that, that curtain is falling again. And so, um, yeah, prayers yeah. for them. That's right. Somebody has to hold it. <laughs> Make the man do it. <laughs> Hello. Um, I specifically want to pray for, um, one of Eloise's friends at kindergarten. Her name is Amethyst and she's an only child. Um, her mom is Diana and we both kind of hang around after school on the playground. And so we've kind of, I'd say we're like acquaintances now. Um, and her, yeah, playground friends. Um, her husband was diagnosed in May of 2021, um, with cancer. It's a type of muscle cancer, like a muscle and soft tissue. It's very rare. Um, he is not doing well at all. He has stopped responding to treatment and she just showed up at the playground, not this past week, but the week before. And she was kind of crying and I was like, are you okay? And she just like, like just told me, I was like, she needed to talk to somebody clearly. And she just told me all of this stuff that she's been holding, but the doctors have told him, you know, like, I think your best bet is to try and to get in some experimental trials. Um, his current treatment has, you know, they've stopped because it's not working. It's just made him sicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so I've like offered like amethyst has come to play with us sometimes, but I just, 
it's just awful. I mean, it's just an awful situation and I don't even really know what to pray for Mm. other than, I don't know, just to pray. It's just, it's just a, it's a really awful situation. Yeah. I missed who has the cancer. The dad. It's the dad. Okay. It's the dad. And Amethyst and Diane, Diana. Diana. Yeah. And do you know the dad's name? I think Miguel. Okay. I've never actually met him, but like, it's just, it's very, very bad. The stuff that she told me was just horrible to hear. Um, so I, I don't know what to pray for, like I said, but pray for, pray for them. Okay. Uh, I'm mindful of my neighbor, Ricky and the family. Mm. His, uh, Casey was shot a year ago, February 14th. And then the one year anniversary of, of his death is coming up in April. I saw mm. Ricky actually working on Casey's truck the other day. Mm. I imagine all this season was really mm. just awful. Mm. So Casey, Casey's family. Yeah. Got it. It's down. Nice. Uh, when Sarah was talking about praying for the Russians, that reminded me of a news story I saw this morning on CNN. Uh, there are a lot of Russian business owners that live here in the United States, and they're suffering hate crimes. And there was one restaurant that had practically shut down and because the name Russian was in the name of the restaurant. Mm. But a lot of the employees that work there were Ukrainian. So people are just being really ignorant and lashing out. And <laughs> I just pray for that whole situation. And and I pray, you know, I was thinking about Dasha. And I hope she's not suffering any kind of hatred. Um, Stephanie, you had raised your hand. Oh, you shocked me. Uh, no, it's okay. It's probably me. I'm electric. Uh, <laughs> oops. Um, I would like to offer up some prayers for Lila's mom, Mary. Um, she's in intensive care right now and mm. is not doing well. Um, and we're not sure how long she'll be there, but I think it's going to be for a while. And little Lila is very torn up. Um, so some prayers for Larry, Mary and Lila would be really appreciated. You got it. Um, Ryan Kaiser, this puts you on the spot so you can say no. Um, would you mind telling folks about um, the group that we're starting? Um, for your freshman buddies. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, if you have like a, something you'd like for us to pray for your crew. Yeah. Um, so I have yesterday morning or we, me, my dad and two other, or two other pairs of, dads and sons started a kind of a youth group um for like freshman boys maybe in the summer and it was just us three dads and us three boys meeting for a while and yesterday was the first meeting we had in a while and we invited some of our other friends and they came over to our house we had breakfast um it was good and then we did some nintendo switch and we had a devo and it was a good place to be and it was fun and um prayers that that will be a good place for people who need to come there and like need that space that that can be a safe space for them yeah thanks buddy okay let's pray God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob,
God of Moses and David and Solomon, God of Sarah, God of Ruth, God of Deborah, God of uh, Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, we, we approach you in this great stream of people, forefathers and foremothers, uh, in this story that we're a part of. And we, we marvel and, and even wonder at, uh, how you move and work in this great story we're a part of. And we, we approach you wanting to, wanting to hold the tensions of our existence, wanting to have faith, wanting to hope that you're at work for our good, that you love us, that you choose us and commit us, commit yourself to us, that you, you take on the weight and the responsibility of covenant to us, that nothing could separate us from your love. And for all those things, we give you thanks. Uh, God, we lift up, uh, the people of Ukraine, our neighbors in Ukraine, our neighbors in Russia, uh, and for all of those who are in harm's way, who are afraid, who lack what they need amidst the, uh, uh, the violence, um, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your presence. We ask for the work of your Holy Spirit. Uh, when we don't know how to pray otherwise. God, I lift up Amethyst and Diana and Miguel to you. We ask for you to have mercy, for you to be present for your Holy Spirit, to be at work in their lives. Uh, we lift up Ricky to you and all of Casey's family who are in grief at this time of year as they remember him and uh, remember his life and the gift that he was to them. Lord, would you have mercy? Would you be present? Would you be at work in your Holy Spirit? Um for Stephanie and for Mary, especially for Lila. Uh, Mary, as she's in ICU, God, would you have mercy? Would you be present? Would you be at work in your Holy Spirit, please? For, uh, for the freshman young men that came over to our house yesterday and for, for the, the group that is uh, forming and growing there for all who are apart and all of our neighbors and friends who may join. Um, we give you thanks, God, and we ask for you to have mercy and be present. Show us what you're doing. Show us how you're working in your Holy Spirit. Um, thank you for the time that we had together. For all of our neighbors and neighborhoods that we haven't been able to pray about, Lord, we entrust them to you too. And to your mercy, in Jesus' name, amen.